Writing in the third century, the church father, Origen of Alexandria, wrote of this passage, salt is useful for so many purposes in human life. What need is there to speak about this? Now is the proper time to say why Jesus' disciples are compared with salt. Salt preserves meat from decaying into stench and worms. It makes them edible for a longer period of time. They would not last through time and be found useful without salt. So also Christ's disciples, standing in the way of the stench that comes from the sins of idolatry and fornication, support and hold together this whole earthly realm. This is a fascinating idea. And it points to the understanding of the body of Christ as almost a kind of restraining or, and preserving element in the world. There is even that notion with regard to the end of times that before the rise of the wicked one, that before there could be a great earthly ruler who is himself a projection of the power of the enemy, that before that the church must be removed by way of the rapture so that that can occur. This is an interesting idea, and it, and, and it speaks to what you and I are a part of around the world. It also points us to a need for an increased devotion to personal and collective righteousness. That is an understanding that we are not only made righteous in a sort of legal sense, Jesus died for us and that covers our sin, but that God is calling his church to be a preserving influence in the world, in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, in our jobs, wherever we are, you can sprinkle salt, but if it loses its savor, what use is it? And here God has sprinkled us throughout the earth to be a kind of preserving influence. This passage always seems so obvious to me and at once obscure. The idea that we're salt, like it's almost baffling to me because it seems so obvious. Oh, okay. So we're supposed to be a preservative. That's how it would have been understood in those days. I don't think they were thinking so much in some of the other ways we might consider salt, like as seasoning as much as a preservative element because that was very common in the ancient world. We preserve, but how and in what ways? It seems at once overly grandiose and then at the same time so intimate. God's calling me to be a preservative element in the world? What does that mean? How can I do that? How do we do that? Uh, but it's also so obvious, isn't it? I've told you a number of times probably how Christina likes to clean with straight bleach. The thing about that is wherever it goes, it cleans or it changes the color of my pants or does whatever. But it never ceases to be bleach. Unless you were to water it down and greatly dilute it, then maybe it would lose its cleaning and cleansing effect. So it is with this passage. You and I are called to be salt. In fact, it's a better understanding to say we are salt. We're salt and light in the world. There are a number of other related passages. What does light have to do with darkness? That you and I are called to be salt and not to be sort of, you know, watered down. When I lose a tooth when I was a little kid, my mom always made me gargle salt water. Anybody else ever do that? And I would always just, I would say, okay, I'll just put a little. 
because it kind of hurt and felt uncomfortable. And she would put like half a thing of salt in there and shake it up. And I'm like, oh, this is killing me. You and I have got to be very cautious that we don't water down in our minds and in our hearts what it is that God has made us to be. Some of you may have taken one. I, I, I made a, a handful of little outlines. I'm going to share with you uh, quickly because I'm anxious to share communion with you. I'm going to share with you just four ideas. And if you follow that outline, you'll have a little spot to take notes if you're a note taker. All four of those ideas are centered around this one premise that I think is obvious in this text. The church exists for the world's sake more than its own. Let me say it this way at the risk of offending some. I'm not the evangelist and you're not the mission field. But sometimes just the very architecture of how we do church in the West implies such a thing. You come to the pews, the minister ministers to you. I'm a player coach on a team that is all supposed to be salt in the world. The church exists for the world's sake more than for its own. This is not a refuge from the world. This is a locker room for motivation to get back out into the world being salt. But first, we've got to realize that we are salt if we're ever going to be salty in the world in a positive way. Sometimes Christians are only salty in so much as we're like salt in the wounds of hurting sinners. And we're like, hey, why don't you act better? But that's not really what this is about. A preserving influence means, hey, let me take you to my Lord who can change you and you'll rejoice in serving him in the world. But you and I have got to be salt and get busy rejoicing in him and finding him to be the, the central thing from which we get life. Otherwise, we'll lose our savor. We won't look any different than the world. We'll believe the same things the world believes. We'll, we'll understand things the same way. We'll look at it through the same lenses. We'll, we'll hope in the same things the world hopes in, which is hopelessness. Now, you and I have got to get a hold of this idea that we, we are salt. We are new creations if we are in Christ. We're not the same thing. We're not of the same substance. Point number one, here is Christ's sublime definition of the Christian life and of those who compose his church. Here is Christ's sublime definition of the Christian life. Christ's disciples are to be saviors of others. Just let that sink in just for a moment. If we, if we are salt, and, and if it means that we are to be a preservative element in the world, that we're, we're almost like a restraining element, our very presence reduces decay from sin. That's the sort of analogy. Then there are people in our lives upon whom God has written a destiny which includes us sharing the love and gospel of Jesus to bring them back to himself. If we are the salt in the hand of the Savior who has cast us around the world, he has done so, and that means we have a mission in the world. And if we get on board with that mission, whatever it is, you say, well, I'm an old woman and I have arthritis. Well, what am I supposed to do? 
In my office right now are 100 pillowcase dresses that will find their way to Haiti to clothe children. Those will probably go to some of the poorer Haitian-ran orphanages. There are a hundred of them, and if I'm not mistaken, one of those represents 8,000 that this woman has done. I don't know who she is. I, I, I'm going to assume she's just an average woman. And you say, but what can I do? I, I don't know. But I know that the Holy Spirit will reveal it to you, and I know that as a body of believers, we are constantly putting opportunities in front of you so that the church can be a hub for mission in the world so that we can keep our savor. That's what we're doing here on Sunday morning. We're, we're keeping our savor. We're, we're undiluting the watering down effect of living in a world where people not only turn from God, but in many cases run from God, and in some even hate his very name. This is the definition of the Christian life, to be a preservative element in the world. Notice what Jesus did not say. He didn't say, you are like salt. He didn't say, you're like the salt in the world. That would be simile. Or, or, or uh, what do you, more specifically, uh, metaphor. He said, you are something, simile. You're like it. You're, you're, you are it. It is still a form of comparison, but in this instance, it clearly implies a rather concrete comparison. If you are alive in Jesus Christ, you are salt. A preservative element for the world. You see, it's not that the preacher brings salt for you. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he rubs it into your wounds. Because the preacher's call is what? At its core, it's to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. You and I have got to recognize what we are in Christ. If we are recipients of so great a grace as this, that God would choose us by his favor and grace, if we would be chosen by the very creator of the universe to be salt in the world, then then you and I have got to see that that should cause a changing effect in our lives. And, and we must hunt for the ways we've watered it down or, or allowed the world to water it down, either by our hurts, by our dysfunction, by our pain, or by sin, by rebellious attitudes. Whatever it is, we've got to deal with it because this is where true joy is found. You say, I'm just not excited about my Christian life as I used to be. The Christian life is dull and boring. Get on mission. Go hang out with some kids in a juvenile detention center. That wasn't boring. I was scared. I was a little bit scared. I was a little bit scared. Not really. I don't get scared that easy. But I thought, man, some of these kids are coming from some rough places. That's not boring. Interact with the world as salt, and your life will not be boring. God's calling us to find joy in serving him. You know, point number two, is not this the doctrine of election as our Savior understood it? People fight over Arminianism and Calvinism. They need to stop that and actually fight for being salt in the world. That's what this passage is saying. God's people are chosen not for their own comfort, but to show men the beauty of the divine life. Some people think I'm too direct with my adopted daughter from Haiti. 
But I tell her with great frequency, God did not put me in your life to give you a family so that you could sit in America drinking your Coca-Cola comfortably for the rest of your life. You will return to your people and be a blessing in their life. Because with the great favor of grace on each one of us, there also comes an accompanying responsibility to be the salt and light in the world. God didn't save little old you just because you were so cute to put you on a shelf like a knickknack and say, look at what I have. No, God saves us and he makes us a new thing. And one of those things is salt, a preserving element. That doesn't mean you become a finger wagger. Hey, you're, you're a sinner. No, it means, it means now you, you bring authentic, preserving influence. God loved me so much, he saved me, and that's why I'm sharing love with you and compassion on you. And wouldn't you like to know more about this Jesus whom I've found? If I am lavished in love, chosen from before the foundations of the earth were formed, then my life is power-packed with purpose in Jesus Christ. I was made to manifest meaning in the world. Where I am, it is where God placed me to be, to preserve life and to represent his kingdom, to battle injustice, to share his grace, to shine the light of truth in a world riddled with lies. How is God using you to increase justice in just one life in the world? How could God use you if you and I were willing to just be what we are? Salt. A preservative. What we do matters. Everything we do matters. We are who God made us to be. Be that with preserving power. Point number three, it is quality more than quantity that does God's work in the world. All history and progress are at bottom the life story of a chosen few. Last Sunday I preached in the morning at Ivor Baptist Church, some dear friends of ours in Ivor, Virginia. Sunday night I preached at, or shared about the ministry uh, in Haiti uh, to at uh, First Baptist Church in Suffolk, Virginia. Ivor Baptist Church, the whole building couldn't possibly hold more than 35 people. The building is a tiny little structure from I, I, presumably the early 19 or late 1800s. It's a tiny little place. When my friend Donald, who is now the pastor, first arrived, there was just, a, I don't know, a dozen people or something, not very many. When I am in there, you, some of you say, you're too loud. I'm trying right now not to be. And I say, no, the building's too small. I need more room. I, I need the, the Moody Memorial Church in Chicago, a giant that's a block size. I think maybe that would be enough to properly capture that loudness, obnoxious loudness, my wife calls it. But in this little building, I have to almost whisper because it's so small. About four years ago, this little bitty congregation, they met us, they heard about our work in Haiti. They made the largest donation to help us ship a bus that went to Haiti packed with food, medical supplies, generators, all manner of things to make a difference. God is calling you to recognize that it is quality, not quantity, that matters in the Christian life. 
I suspect I've never done it, but I suspect just one grain of salt in an open wound would hurt. I suspect, likewise, just one act of faith in obedience to God can accomplish great things because little is much when God is in it. What did Jesus say in Matthew 7? We are on a narrow way and not everyone is going to find it. This is the final principle, point number four. It should be one great object of our prayer and our effort to keep up the moral and spiritual standard of the elect few. Now, what does that mean? Jesus said, the road is wide that leads to destruction, but narrow that leads to life. And he said, few are those that are going to find it. We as Christians are prone to the temptation to wonder why everyone doesn't accept Christ, at least I have been. We have comprehended him and seen his beauty and worth, and we wonder why on earth do more people not embrace this beautiful gift that is Jesus Christ. Having seen the light radiating from the cross and the wonder of an empty tomb, I often wonder why don't more people come to Christ or why is there not more fervency and passion in those who have? God has never been surprised by anything. Do you see? It's not quantity that matters, it's quality. It is far better to be salt as God is calling us to be rather than to think we can't do enough for him. You and I are salt. And I would call you today as we move to the sharing of communion in a moment to consider the transformation that God has made in each one of our lives and to daily and often consider of ourselves Am I being salt in the world, or am I being salt on a shelf? Have I placed action at a lower premium than words? In Haitian Creole, they say, Paul san action. Words, no action. Am I salt in the world, or am I salt on a shelf? In 8250, a killing plague swept through North Africa in the city of Carthage. The heathens threw the dead in the streets and fled the city in fear for their lives. Cyprian, the leader of the church in Carthage, marshaled the saints. They began burying the dead and nursing the sick. Their actions saved that city and thrust the church into prominence in the minds of its citizens. Good people are salting the earth and preserving the creation of God. They are lighting the world and glorifying the God who made it. And I have just one question for you today. If we are not salting this earth and lighting this world, then why are we here? Good saintly people, precious saints of God, we must find joy in serving the Lord. Don't lose your savor. Don't let the world rob it from you. Amen.